Hillary Clinton is back. Now, maybe not really back, but this whole presidential race has become, I mean, you, you've got President Trump with a majority of the country disapproving of him. And yet the Democrats, it's just hard to see anything, you know, any candidate emerging who isn't pretty doggone unpopular, unpopular enough to reelect an unpopular president. And, and as if to say that in spectacular form, uh, the Epic Times had a story uh, where Hillary Clinton mentioned that she has been deluged with, with requests that she run for a third time to be president and that she declined to rule that out. Uh, it, it sounds like the beginning of a, of a tremendous uh, uh, third installment of a horror movie. Uh, what you're saying is that uh, Hillary Clinton is now um, like the hockey masked figure in Halloween. <laughs> Down and then there he gets back up again. Where did he go? Next movie. Yes, yes. It's just, you know, that, that well, you know, the idea of Bloomberg getting into this race so late. And of course, there's a little bit of a discrimination against wealthy people because part of the way you get into the debates is to raise money from lots of people in different states. Well, you know, who wants to write a check and sacrifice so that Bloomberg can have money? Or that Tom Steyer, who, who seems like, I mean, it's almost like you want to help Steyer out. He's only worth $1.6 That's it. I mean, Bloomberg's worth 53 or 54 billion. So, I mean, we don't even know exactly what Bloomberg's worth, but the difference is about what Steyer's worth. The difference between whether it's 53 or 54 or whatever. So, uh, oh, this is, and, and it's, it is funny that the Democrats' next debate looks like it will be an all white debate, which, you know, is no big deal because I'm for to me because I'm not interested so much in what somebody's skin color is, but it's it's somewhat interesting in that the Democrats are so big on we must have you know even if it's complete tokenism we're going to have uh, everybody represented and that that somehow makes it much much better. Uh, the ideas that come forth if you have other people represented. And, and, you know, diversity, I, I kind of like diversity, uh, makes things interesting, but that debate's not going to be so interesting. And of course, Bloomberg and Steyer are having trouble getting into these debates because they've got to find some way to get poor people to give them money. <laughs> it's just, it's tough. Uh, so so um, they're spending a lot of money in the campaign. And of course, it's all this billionaire kind of anti-billionaire talk even though most of the candidates are millionaires and and we've said numerous times it's it's funny that you know bernie sanders used to talk about millionaires and billionaires and now he only talks about billionaires because of course it's come out that he's a millionaire so the the uh, the democratic field as a as a whole is is pretty doggone interesting comparing what's happening to what they say they believe. Uh, but, but, you know, you, you look at them individually, it's not much better. 
uh, <laughs> not any better. Joe Biden, I mean, from, from day one, uh, he just isn't with it. And of course, he's never been a good presidential candidate. He's run numerous times. He's never gotten anywhere. And he was picked as VP, and that seems to be his claim to fame, and that he's not as crazy as some people in Washington, which is true. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, we <laughs> refer to him as Mr. Magoo. He was talking about uh, his leg hair, and he, he goes on these different rants. A, a man confronted him about what's his son doing with this job in Ukraine with an oil company since he doesn't, you know, energy company since he doesn't know anything about energy. And I thought that whole response was, was very canned, not real. I mean, it was canned, although it was delivered as if, as if the can had been damaged in shipping. Uh, but uh, Biden is, he's not with it. And, and, and I mean that, you know, I don't know what his medical condition is, but he's just not, it's tough to run for president and have people asking you questions all the time and microphones in your face. I don't, I, I have respect for the physical demands and the mental demands, both, that any of these candidates are going through. But Biden is up in years and whether, you know, whatever his age is, some people are gonna be 102 and they're gonna be sharp as a tank. And some people, you know, they weren't that sharp at seven, much less at 77. So, um, but, but Biden, he can't really say sentences. And it's not just, it's not just like George W. Bush, who had this uh, amazing ability, sort of like his dad, to just mangle the sentence, you know. But it's more that his thought process doesn't seem to be together. And uh, he is not going to be president. He is not going to be president. And uh, I've thought that from day one, and it's, he, it's just not going to happen. And with Kamala Harris coming out, of course, he's now saying nice things about her, even though she was the first one to kneecap him. Uh, but, but, you know, you look to the next, Warren. You know, Warren uh, has, has stumbled kind of almost every time she's tried to humanize herself with a stupid beer stunt where she's going to drink a beer like she's, you know, one of the boys. And, um, and, you know, then she did the, uh, not that girls can't drink beer. I don't drink beer. My wife sometimes does. So, uh, so we're, we're, we're writing the, the kind of cultural sexism that has been, you know, happening. But anyway, um, she, her, you know, Medicare for all, some people liked it on the far left. When people started to look at the numbers, they didn't add up. It was a big problem she all of a sudden changes it and all of a sudden so what does that say it says to the people on the far left maybe she's not committed to all those things uh thank goodness and uh and it says to the people in the middle ooh, you know she'll go anywhere but you know who knows where she where she's gonna start going uh after she's elected it's it's a real problem because i think she's lost some some uh credibility and i don't mean that in a you know in a in a stilted way i mean that in a very real way that that people just don't trust what she says quite as much as they once did even if they disagree they don't don't have the same feeling that maybe she's at least you know talking something she believes and then you get to sanders who i just think um 
you know, it's kind of Warren, except he says, I am a socialist. And I, I did take my honeymoon in the Soviet Union, which, you know, I, you know, all the, all the Russia bashing these days, um, I still like Russia a little bit better than the Soviet Union. So, uh, but not Mr. Sanders. That's problematic. And, and of course, the guy who seems to be jumping up right now, he's ahead in Iowa, he's ahead in New Hampshire, is frankly the Democrat I'm most scared of. Uh, and I, I think he's got some problems. Uh, he's got some problems uh, potentially with the, with the black vote, uh, which is huge in the, in the primaries, um, but is pretty huge even in the general. And, uh, and I think that's a problem for him. But my, my concern, I, I, I think he's an FDR, big government guy who talks better than the rest of them. And, uh, and I think, you know, so I think he's pretty slick. He handles the media well. The media likes him. Um, you know, he has, you know, he being, he would be the first openly gay president. And, and, you know, that's a, that's a something that's going to drive, you know, some vote to the polls. Uh, and it, of course, it, you know, there's been debate about whether he'll be hurt with a black vote, which tends to be, you know, much more, uh, traditional, old-fashioned, uh, whatever, on, on uh, you know, when, when Barack Obama won with a big black turnout in, in California in 2008, uh, not only did Obama win, but surprisingly to many, uh, the Prop 8 gay marriage ban passed. And the, the feeling was from exit polls and so on that the higher uh, African-American turnout in California drove the victory for the, for the, anti-gay marriage measure. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But, but my biggest problem with him is, with all the candidates, you know, it, it, Mr. Trump, you know, you can, you can like these guys, you know, their personality or whatever, and you have to watch them on TV sometimes. So, you know, you can, you can pick and choose according to that. But it seems to me that it's their policies that matter and everything else is, is uh, usually, uh, you know, a diversion. And, and Buttigieg, one of his first things was to talk about national service and then to somewhat flippantly say, I guess it could even be voluntary or something. Um, and we, you know, I, I immediately came out with a, a commentary. In fact, I went to the YouTube there's and, and, and did a little rant on, you know, this guy's got to come out and say it's not a it's not a minor thing because we've talked about this National Commission on Military, National and Public Service that the Congress set up to tell them, hey, should we keep draft registration and extend it to women or get rid of it? Should we have a draft? Should we military draft? Should we have national service, a forced national service program? And um, and so, you know, this is back in the in the discussion. And, and they, like Buttigieg, often kind of talk about it as if it's all about service and there's no real differences there between a draft where you're forcing people out of their lives and into the you know, military or it's offering someone a job where they can do service in the community and get paid something and be you know, it's maybe one of their first jobs and they grow as a person. You know, these are two very different things. One's called slavery and one's called freedom and taking a job. So it's, it's uh, it, it, you know, I really, I look at Buttigieg and I, and I say, this is a guy who, if he's elected president, will be looking 
to do things like national service. We'll be gung-ho for continued regime change and, and so on. Uh, so I see him as a, as a pretty dangerous character. Um, but it's, it's interesting, which really leads us kind of to Friday's uh, common sense. And I'll skip over a couple. Uh, no, no offense to my other commentaries. But Friday's, we, we did two things uh, long in the, in the making. One is we talked about the Selective Service Systems tweet earlier this year, back in, in late June, early July. I saw it around July 1st. And I was so swamped with stuff. I'm, I wanted to write something for common sense, and I just, I just didn't. I got busy with other things. And, but they had a tweet that showed a man with his hands handcuffed behind his back. And they made some flippant comment about, you know, some people think that laws and government suck, so they don't register. And, of course, the people that they prosecuted, and they're suggesting, you know, they're tough, they're going to prosecute you, it's the law. Well, they haven't prosecuted anybody in over 30 years for not registering for the draft. And the people that they did prosecute over 30 years ago for me, to today that we tape this, which is Friday, December 6th, is the 35th anniversary of the FBI, three agents coming to my house and arresting me and putting me in handcuffs for refusing to register for the draft. And uh, today, they aren't arresting anybody. And the reason they're not arresting anybody even though I found out the Selective Service turned over 110,000 Americans, young Americans, to be prosecuted by the Justice Department for refusal to register for the draft. But they're not going to go after them because they realize if they go after them, people are going to say, what are you doing? This is insane. Just like the 14 of us who our reasons weren't that laws and government suck, man, dude, whatever. Our reasons were that we saw what happened in Vietnam. We saw that the draft is a way for politicians to make war without the consent, the volunteerism of Americans to say, yes, we'll get into the military. Uh, you know, it's just the, the reasons are, are age old and, and heartfelt. And here was some sophomoric tweet by an agency who's, who basically forced thousands and thousands of Americans into a war they didn't believe of in, in, in Vietnam. And as I've pointed out at Common Sense and in a commentary, so many people died. I mean, almost 100,000 people died in Korea and Vietnam and in combat uh, during the time we had a draft after World War II, those 30 some odd years, a little less than 30 years. In the 40 years since then, we have had about 10,000 people die in combat. That's way too many, as far as I'm concerned. But that's a big difference. And it doesn't, you know, it's a correlation. It's not causation. It doesn't mean if you have a draft, people just drop dead on the street or we immediately go to war. But it does suggest that this idea that somehow the draft might somehow make the, the country such that we wouldn't be going to war 
That was the whole point of the draft, and that's why Vietnam lasted as long as it did and killed 58,000 people. And, uh, and so the, the, the one old thing was me being arrested 35 years ago. The other old thing uh, was months ago, the Selective Service having this outrageous tweet uh, and, and basically looking at our young people as, uh, and I can say that, I got, I got some I claim, and you know that, that we're just gonna lock you up and this is how our country works. You work for us, we don't work for you. So it's, it's, uh, I, that was, a uh, you know, I was glad to, to finally, uh, bring people that tweet, which is, uh, I, I think kind of looking behind, uh, the curtain at the selective service system. And, uh, and it's funny, 35 years ago today, um, you know, I had a kid, uh, that was one year old, uh, almost one years old. Uh, and I had, uh, you know, my wife, uh, you know, worried about me spending the night at the, uh, lockup. Um, and, and yet here we are 35 years later, and I don't know whether it's fortunately or unfortunately, because of course it, we could have had a draft. We could have had worse things happen as I, as I don't like to say, but it's true. It can always get worse. Uh, or unfortunately we're talking about the draft 35 years later. And, and to me, the difference now is we're talking about the draft and they're talking about bringing national service back, which is just an insane kind of, uh, you know, government loitering, you know, government administered loitering maybe for people and all, you know, sweeping the streets, ridiculous things to steal time from our young people who want to go to college or work a job or do something they want to do, or maybe a military draft that's being talked about by this commission but they're also talking about whether they're going to extend draft registration and there's no need to do it. There's no need. There's no military need. There's no political need. It's stupid. And it gets in the way of people living their lives and it doesn't provide anything for truly defending our freedom and our country. And, uh, and, and so this commission has asked for public comment. Um, I've given them more than a couple and I'm urging everybody to do that. Let's, let's tell them if you go to thisiscommonsense.com and, uh, the, the commentary is, what is it? It's terrible. Uh, now I'm going to forget to, I knew I, I, I choke, I choke terrible, terrible, twisted tweet, twisted. That's what I couldn't think of. Terrible, twisted tweet. That was actually my title, not yours. So, uh, <laughs> but you liked it. I, I actually came up with about eight titles for this one. Anyway, uh, uh, but but uh, if you go there at the very end, and we'll we'll maybe put a link or something in here. Uh, but at the very end, it says here it's a highlighted link. Go to that link. Go to the commission's web page. Page. There's a little block where you can type anything you want. You don't have to spend a whole lot of time. You can say. Don't extend draft registration to women. End it for everybody or whatever you want to say, but I'd suggest that. And, uh, and you can say no draft, no, no national service, no forced program where you take people out of their lives. That's called slavery. And say whatever you want, but go there and make a comment. Um, it, it could have an impact 
on what the bozos in Congress, what, what this commission tells Congress to do, and then what those bozos actually do. So uh, please go there today. Please, please. Um, what else did we talk about this week? Well, we, we had something uh, on Monday about uh, the armed forces going yeah. into space. Yes, the new arms race. And in fact, antiwar.com uh, picked that up. And, uh, and ran it on their site and gave us a nice uh, link back and, and everything. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting because it seems like China's in space, Russia's in space, the U.S. is in space. War is going to go to space. And so, um, you know, I'm not a pacifist. I'm for America being able to defend ourselves. But we we have a system today that, you know, we don't even really talk about we as Americans and what we want our foreign policy to do, how we should defend ourselves. These are issues that somehow are above the American people. We're lowly little serfs that, that uh, you know, we can, we can think about taxes and civil liberties and so on, but all this requires, you know, some kind of security clearance or something. And, uh, and that's a problem. Because we need to have a thorough debate about uh, what kind of weaponry in space. And, uh, and we need to be thinking about how we defend ourselves. Because frankly, our leaders are not. They're thinking about how to fight two and a half wars around the globe. And they're thinking about what's happening in the Middle East and whether they can intervene and how to, how, you know, what bases they have and so on. But uh, when 9-11 happened, when there were enemy planes, enemies took over our planes and were flying them above our heads, the U.S. military could hardly get a plane in the sky to fight them. And that tells me that they, they don't have any real plans for what do you do when something like that happens. And mark my words, if it happens again, they still won't have any plans. They are forward-looking, forward like outside of the country looking. And we need as Americans, it's, you know, and, and maybe the American people say, look, we need to have all these bases. We need to do all this stuff. I'll lose the argument. Hey, I've lost arguments before. I've lost votes before. But we ought to have that discussion. And, and it, it permeates everything because without that discussion, what is a new space force? It's a new, it's a new pork barrel program. It's new crony capitalism. It's, it's the military industrial complex writ large, more spending, more money, and, and you know, more internationalism in America, regime change, and so on and so on and so on. And it, it, that's really, it, you know, a, a good friend of mine, Eric O'Keefe, wrote a book about the draft uh, called Who, Who Rules America? And that's his question is always, and he's right on this, is always who's in charge, whose decision, who rules America? And he, as I, would like to see the citizenry rule America, that, that within the limits that we've, we've all saluted with the Constitution, and when people don't like parts of the Constitution, it's usually not the Bill of Rights they're complaining about, uh, with a few exceptions of, you know, folks in Congress, but uh, who don't like the first or the second. But, but the, uh, you know, we, 
Now I'm going to lose my thought. Weak. Well, you were talking about uh, who's controlling, who's ruling, who's making oh, the decisions. Right. So the the whole thing is, if the American people are making the decision, it doesn't mean it's going to be to my liking that I'll say it's wonderful. But I'm, it, it's the age old, I've said it on initiative and referendum. Do I trust the people? No. But I trust the people a whole lot more than I trust the politicians. And that is even more true when it comes to war and peace. And, and we've, as a country, you know, our president can take us to war anywhere he wants, anytime he wants. Uh, that's got to change. That's not what the founders envisioned. And do we really think we can, we can have a system like that that's so easy to go to war and, and maintain the type of freedom we have? Uh, I mean, look at, look at what happened in Iraq. I think one of the stupidest things ever done in, in human history, not just American history. And we're going to have more wars like that. Look at what happened in Libya. And, and why? Because there's no pushback. In fact, uh, Obama would have been able to bomb and maybe intervene more in, in Syria had he not, you know, even after he drew the red line, said, uh, oh, I'm going to ask Congress. And I think he was looking for an out. Well, you know, in many ways, most ways, I'm glad he was looking for an out. But we need more than a president looking for an out. We need a, a constitutional system. I don't want to be an empire that polices the world. Maybe the American people do. I don't think so. I really don't think so. But even if they do, they need to be engaged in this. In other words, let the American people make some of these decisions. And, and that's why we, we need to speak out on how we raise an army. Uh, that's why we need to speak out on foreign intervention and, and what we're doing around the world. And we need to be thinking about space defense or whatever defense we are going to have instead of being some client, some constituent, some customer uh, who's treated as shabbily as the worst corpora corporation would treat somebody. Uh, that's, that's good old government. It's even deeper than that, though, because who rules? Uh, right now, they're going through an impeachment process in which... It looks to me like the intent has all along been that some insiders really resent the fact that a president was going to change foreign policy, and there the interagency's policies were going to be put on the back burner or discarded. That seems to be behind this whole Ukraine nonsense. Uh, well, and I think, uh, I think it's more than, I mean, I think uh, from what I've read and, and seen, and, and frankly, I've tried to avoid as much, as, know, as much of it as I can. Um, but I think there is some desire among Trump to use his office to get them to do things like investigate Biden. Now, he's got, he's got what seems to me to be a reason, an excuse. Um, and maybe it is 110% an excuse that, well, there was corruption, or at least I think there looked like there was, and blah, 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 blah. But the, the, the bottom line be, behind all that is there's also a desire to hijack this presidency, and there is a deep state. And one of the things that I think smart people have to do 
is to realize that just because one side is evil, <laughs> maybe evil isn't the right word, corrupt, bad, uh, malevolent, doesn't mean the other side's not. And, and in essence, um, you know, Trump may have tried to do everything they're alleging. I'm not sure that they have enough to say for sure he did, therefore he's impeached and we're going to convict him in the Senate. And so a lot of it is, um, and, and people I respect think he should be impeached, you know, yesterday. Um, but I don't, because I think it's a, it's a huge mistake. It's not going anywhere. It's all about creating these rifts. And, and frankly, I don't think the American people are all that divided if they were focused on their agenda instead of the agenda of the politicians and the, and the media. And, you know, as those are big words, big groups. It's not every outlet. But in this whole narrative of, of the Trump administration, the entire time he's been in office, and I'm not sure he, he dislikes it. He, it may work for him. Uh, but the whole narrative has been Russia and, and, you know, and now this and impeachment and, and can he survive and he's not going to last a full term. And so, you know, that's, I think, very troubling to people who voted for him and wanted him to shake up Washington. And it is a sign. I think we've seen the deep state uh, is there. And, and most of us knew it was there before Trump, but I think it's more obvious. But it doesn't mean that, that, Trump shouldn't respond to certain things uh, and, and, you know, doesn't have certain responsibilities where Congress is concerned and he can go to court. You know, they haven't wanted to go to court because I don't think they've wanted, there's been a number of people who they might want to require to testify, but Trump's been able to block them and say, don't testify. Well, when someone says, I'm not going to testify, then you go to court and then a judge will decide whether that person's going to testify or not testify. They haven't wanted to do that. And in, and in part, they haven't wanted, the Democrats have not wanted to take administration people to court because it will take time. And some of that is, you know, I'm sure they want it to be timely and we're going to finish this and save the country. But I think a big part of that is they want this finished as soon as possible and not stretching uh, further into the new year. I mean, I think there's, I think if, if they thought impeachment was really very good for them, we'd be having impeachment hearings in January. They've moved ahead a little bit more this last week, right? Yes, they did. Yeah. And they, they are drawing up impeachment articles and so on. And, and uh, so they are moving ahead, but, but, you know, as we said, I think last week, uh, when we were talking about it, it's, it's um, there's not much for the American people to do in this process. I mean, you could call your congressman, uh, but I remember years ago when I first started Common Sense, sometimes I, not often, <laughs> but I guess when I couldn't think of what to tell people to actually do about something, a couple of times I mentioned, call your congressman. And, and there are times, frankly, to be honest, there are times to call your congressman uh, where another voice <clears throat> could make a difference. I mean, sometimes I go vote knowing I might lose, but I want to send a, a message. 
So it is good to call your congressman sometimes. But but first couple of times I mentioned that I must have gotten just I just was deluged, kind of like Hillary Clinton's request to run for president, except mine were real. Uh, but I got deluged of people going, Paul, come on, you usually make some sense. What are you telling us to call our congressman? That's a complete waste of time. And on most things, it is. I mean, uh, on, on most issues, our congressmen, they don't represent us, and they're not going to. And it would take a lot more calls than you probably have time to do. And, and I think, for instance, you'd be better off to go leave a comment to this national commission on, on military service and on the draft and national service, uh, that that would have more impact because their ultimate report to Congress could have more impact than calling your congressman about it. Um, it, it is a, a problem though. You see often, and, and we talk about often, and I think sometimes we, we don't want it to be true, but you know, we're not behind enemy lines. The, 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 you know, your neighbors, we, we, there's a lot of agreement. We're a great country, but when it comes to making change, change that is almost universally wanted, term limits, for instance, and the one commentary we didn't talk about was legislators turned lobbyists turned altruists. Uh, but on something like term limits, the fact that it doesn't happen even when Democrats, Republicans, people in New York City, people in Wyoming, every demographic group is for it. It doesn't happen because the politicians do not represent us. They represent us with whatever time they have left over from representing themselves and the interests that support them. Not so, not so crazy. A lot of people, that's kind of the way they think and the way they act. And it's definitely, as we all know, the way our, our representatives are. They don't represent us. And we've got to change that. And, of course, in, in Michigan, there's a way to change that. 27 years ago, they put a measure on the ballot. And Michigan voters voted for it against a lot of money spent by Upjohn. And, and I believe uh, Ford Motor Company spent money and, and uh, other other. Powerful special interests were shaken down by, by the, the legislators and, and Dingle and so on. And they spent a lot of money. Voters voted for term limits. They have been whining. The, the lobbyists and the legislators have been whining ever since. But at the end of the day, what they've done now is filed suit in federal court and, and making arguments that have been made a zillion times in courts around the country, never been successful, not going to be successful here. Uh, but it, it's interesting in reading their, their, uh, their complaint, their federal legal complaint, one of the things they talked about is how term limits are a disaster because people can't gain enough skills to legislate with the tremendous legislative skill of states like New York or Illinois or New Jersey where they don't have term limits. And where there's, gee, wait, there's a lot of corruption there. But they don't legislate as well as like Congress. Congress doesn't have term limits. Look how great. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Anyway, so, but interestingly enough, as they talk about all the great 
you know, all the, the problems they've had that they just can't gain that, that expertise. They also listed all the bills that supposedly these folks had passed and, and gotten into, made into law while they were in the legislature. I guess to say, wouldn't you want them back? Except it was while they were in the legislature working under term limits. So it's just it just is amazing the 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 way that that they talk about these things and and at the end of the day the only real reason they have that they don't like terminals is they want to stay in power and we understand it we all understand it, it doesn't make them you know aliens from Mars it makes them human but it also makes them ex officials let's keep our term limits law and I think the people of Michigan will keep their term limits law. But they'll, they're going to come with every trick they possibly can. Uh, there's a lot of talk about a ballot measure, maybe putting stuff with it, like some sort of ethics reform and ban gifts to lobbyists. You know, several states have, have done things like that, a ban on lobbyist gifts. And then, of course, at the end of the day, after you've, people have voted for it, they find out that, well, the ban's not really real. Uh, but as they found out in Arkansas, the weakening of term limits is. Uh, so who knows what the legislature will do or what they'll do through some phony initiative that's put together by legislators and lobbyists and so on. But that's, you know, that issue of term limits to me is kind of the canary in the, in the coal mine. Um, if you can limit your elected officials, you've just demonstrated that citizens do control their elected officials. If you can't, even with 70 and 80% support, uh, then you're not in control. Your elected officials are in control. And you tell me how free a country that is, where citizens cannot control something as simple, as straightforward, and as universally supported. We, got, we have a lot of work to do in America. Well, that's for sure. Um, but you shifted from the, the federal realm to the state realm there in a moment ago. You know, we don't talk very much about national or federal term limits. Uh, what's the state of that right now? There are a number of states that have passed calls for a convention, term limits convention, to propose an amendment. Uh, Missouri has, Alabama, Florida. Seems to me there's one other. Uh, but they've got to get to 34. It's not easy, uh, but that's, that's the goal, and that would require Congress to do something and, and either to say, okay, we can't stop the states from holding a convention to do this, or uh, Congress might act themselves thinking we'd rather write the amendment than let a convention write the amendment because the convention would write a tougher amendment. Um, but that's what's, that's what's happening, and the U.S. term limits, I still serve on the board, is uh, has been working hard. They got people around the country. They've really uh, beefed up their their presence around the country, and uh, and I think you know it, it's hard to know how fast it can happen. Uh, but but knowing the folks at U.S. term limits, uh, it's they're working to make it happen as fast as possible. I think in a, a two or three cycles, you could see enough states do it. It's like a lot of things. Uh, oftentimes you got to get that momentum. Uh, so many events in, in politics are watershed events where you're pushing, you know, the, the water is pushing against the wall and then 
you know, the watershed breaks and boom, uh, things can happen fast. The uh, Supreme Court decision in the 90s that sort of put the kibosh on, on uh, legislated term limits. State was, legislated, state imposed. Right, state imposed yes. uh, at the state level for the, for the federal office, right? Was right. Uh, U.S. term limits versus Thornton? Is that That's correct. Called? That's right. Okay. Did you have something to do with that? Well, I, uh, I, I did. I, I uh, you know, helped. I was leading U.S. terminals at the time, and, and we, we got the attorneys together to fight the case and, and wanted that case to go up. Uh, it's interesting. One of the aspects of that case, and this is a little bit in the weeds for, for some people, but some of the states limited the terms of elected officials. You're limited, you're out after two terms. Others allowed people to continue to run, but without ballot status. Um, and that states had more power to control ballot status than actual ability to run. And in Arkansas, I believe it was in 58, uh, 1958 may have been, uh, maybe off there, but they had a candidate run for Congress as a write-in and win. But the court basically, the Arkansas Supreme Court said, there's no real chance to win as a write-in candidate, even though it had already happened. Uh, but, but you can't win them all, I guess. And that case went up to the U.S. Supreme Court. It was five to four. Thomas wrote a very, very good decision, uh, a dissent, saying that there's nothing in the Constitution that stops states from doing it. And there's actual, actually a, a section uh, in the Constitution, and I would have years ago known exactly what section, you know, and so on, but I don't at the moment. But it basically says that the states control their elections and that Congress has the power, if it doesn't like an election rule that a state has made, to overrule that rule. And, you know, and it basically creating some checks and balances. The federal government doesn't tell states how to do everything when it comes to who can vote in their state and things like that. It's, it's you know, decentralized left to the states. Um, but ultimately, especially for federal elections, the federal government can say, no, 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 you can't do that. In essence, what the court did five to four was to usurp the power that the Congress had to overrule those. And one of the things we argued is Congress has every power to overrule these state laws if they want. But of course, to do so would have been political dynamite and may have blown them up. And they didn't, the last thing in the world they wanted to do was to use their constitutional power to tell the voters back home, no, thank you. I like Washington. The hot tub's nice. Leave me alone. Let me stay for as long as I want. And so, you know, the, the, the court bailed them out. And, and if you read Stevens's uh, majority opinion, uh, you know, he capitalizes national government a bunch of times. His argument seems to be that this is a national government and it's national in scope and that basically some states can't limit their people and not other states. But of course, no one was forcing these states to do this except their own voters. And that's the interesting thing that sometimes people don't realize these measures won by huge margins, but the people who voted on them understood they were not limiting the entire Congress. They were simply limiting their people. 
and they had enough belief that it would ultimately come for everybody, but also that something had to happen that sending the same people back to get more pork barrel, what does that help us? What is, how does pork barrel projects help the average person? They don't. That's the dirty little secret. One of the problems with Congress is that our Congress people have given up a lot of their power to the executive branch and, and rest a lot of their legislative uh, power into the, what the judiciary does, which is why the judicial nominations are so very, very important these days. Term limits would change that. All of a sudden, they would, the reasons to slough off responsibility universally would go away, wouldn't they? I think so. And I, I think the, the most dynamic aspect of our current Congress is its willingness to hand away its own power to the executive branch or to the courts so that it can absolve itself of any wrongdoing ever. It's not our fault. The executive branch didn't, didn't write the rules correctly. The courts didn't interpret it correctly. Um, and during the battle over term limits in Congress back in 1995, after Republicans took over, uh, there was also an effort to pass a line item veto. We had urged Congress to pass a statute on term limits that simply said, we recognize the states having this right to limit terms and, and not, not absolving, you know, not saying they didn't have the right to overturn them, but just that we recognize the state's right to do this because that would have, it may have had some influence on the court. And it also, that's really all we want is Congress to step out of the way and let's do it because we'd already limited over 40% of the Congress. And we believe that that was a big enough block that they would demand that there be a universal across the board. But here's the interesting thing. They argued they didn't like the constitutionality of what the, what, you know, allowing the states to do it, that they just, you know, they didn't want to do it because they had the votes, they could have done it, and it would have helped. They didn't want to help. Whereas, and uh, when it came to the power of, and, and to, in my view, this was about their own power, whether they could stay or not. Term would be very personal to members of Congress. But when it came to line, line item veto, and handing away institutional power to the president, to the executive branch, they voted overwhelmingly to do it. So when it comes, and, and we've written commentary after commentary, you know, why does, why does Trump have such tremendous power when it comes to setting tariffs? Because Congress gave him all that power. Why does the president have so much power to make war anywhere he wants to make it? Because the Congress gave him all that power. We find it, it has to be at least a half dozen, if not a dozen scripts that I've written since Trump has been president that have talked about, wait a second, how does the president get this much power? And then has concluded, Congress gives it to him. And that's, it's a huge problem. And uh, we can thank Mr. Trump for waking people up to the problem of a president with too much power. But Trust me, the next president's going to have too much power, and all the presidents in my lifetime have had too much power. This is This Week in Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. 
Paul Jacob writes a commentary five days a week on thisiscommonsense.com, and this podcast is where he wraps up the week's stories. Please go tell this National Commission what you think about the draft, draft registration, force national service. You can go to my Friday commentary at thisiscommonsense.com forward slash 2019 forward slash 12 forward slash forward slash 06 forward slash terrible dash twisted dash tweet forward slash and then just hit return. What the heck? And you'll go to my uh, commentary at the very end. There's a uh, link. It's marked here and uh, you can go hit that link. You'll go directly to the National Commission's uh, uh, page to leave a comment. If you already know what you want to say and just want to go directly there, here's the URL. Inspire to, the number two, inspiretoserve.gov forward slash public comments. Go give them a piece of your mind. Save some kid, male or female's life and, uh, and freedom in the future. Thanks.